That record got me high is proud to be sponsored by Is This Tomorrow? Is This Tomorrow is a crazy webcomic produced by Woody Compton and Kelly Shane on a weekly basis, cataloging the absurdities taking place at the Zorro News Channel. You know what I mean. You can find them at isthistomorrow.com or on Facebook by searching Is This Tomorrow? That record got me high, and Is This Tomorrow? Don't bother with that. That's just the garbage disposal. (laughs) That record got me high, and Is This Tomorrow? Proudly present Jerry Lee Lewis, interviewed in 1977 in Finland. Where did you get all these things? You played blues and you played, you played gospel and you played rock and roll, you played country. Where did you get all these things together? I guess the good Lord gave it to me. <laughs> no, I uh, was born and raised in Faraday, Louisiana. About nine miles from Natchez, Mississippi, right across the river there. <clears throat> and uh, gospel music, country music, blues music, gut bucket blues, and, and music with a beat, rock and roll, whatever you want to call it, boogie woogie. Um, I was introduced to all of it when I was a young man. I was a kid growing up. And I guess that's where I got it. I know you've t- told this several times before, but since there is a whole new generation of teenagers in the 70s who don't know your background, maybe you could tell us once more how you developed the style of the news. Well, I just did. And developed my style when I was growing up as a kid. I taught myself how my own style. And uh, nobody ever taught me anything. I taught myself how to play piano. Taught myself how to sing. And uh, the only backing I had was my mother and daddy. So that was about it. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, you shake my nerves and you rattle my brain. You better love like a man saying. You broke my wheel, I put a three. Just reach, just reach, ball to five. All right, so let's uh, let's do this. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of That Record Got Me High. That is Barry Stock. That is Rob Elba. And we welcome you all. And we have a very special guest tonight. Uh, I'm going to just cut right through the chase and say we have Mr. Jack Rabbit. So welcome, Mr. Jack Rabbit. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. <laughs> no, it's great having you, Jack. For those of you who don't know, he uh, he started the music magazine, The Big Takeover, in, in 1980, right? <laughs> <laughs> It'll be 40 years in June, yeah. Oh, my God, 40 years in June. Uh, the big takeover. And uh, he's an awesome writer. You're a great writer. Now, you didn't go to school for writing, did you? <laughs> Absolutely not. You didn't. But you're, I will just <laughs> no. say, not, not kissing your ass or anything, but you're a really good writer. And that's what, I mean, I read, even before I met you, I was already a fan of a big takeover and um, your reviews and just your, pa- I guess it, it's your passion for music, I guess, coming through. That, that's probably it. Well, hopefully I write like I talk and vice versa. <laughs> well, you you can talk. I can't say. We have uh, when I've met you. <laughs> do you remember? Yeah. I would, no one you, ever confused me with a shrinking violet. Right. Do you Actually, do you remember, I think the first time I met you, you and uh, 
Mary uh, had come down to Florida, and this is before you guys had kids, and we all went to Maikai, the Maikai. You, yeah, yes, tiki the tiki bar, bar Mike. Yeah. And my kids were there. My kids were young then. My kids are grown now, but they were probably the age of like your kids are now. And uh, right. yeah, but they loved you. You were very entertaining. You were like the uh, <laughs> cool, cool uncle they don't have. <laughs> <laughs> well, I try not to be too boring. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you definitely weren't. Uh, all right. So you're also you're also the drummer for the New York shoegaze band. I guess people call you a shoegaze band, right? Springhouse. But they okay. do now. They didn't back then because the term didn't exist. It yet. didn't exist, right? You guys invented. Yeah. Can we say Springhouse invented uh, shoegaze? No, but we're <laughs> among the bands that predated it. Right, right. Uh, and in fact, when our album finally came out, it got con- compared to a lot of those bands, but we recorded it three years before before those bands had made records, so it was a double-edged sword. Yep. Big On the guy. one hand, they thought we might be influenced by you know recordings we couldn't possibly have heard, but on the good <laughs> part... You know, people who like those bands would say, like, oh, let's check them out. <laughs> Good. So, you know, we, we had a very similar set of influences to those bands. A lot of 60s garage and psychedelia and right. early 80s post-punk and punk. And, the same uh, stuff that we're, yeah, basically yeah. Our, our stock and trade as well. Yeah. We liked, you know, we liked using some guitar effects, but our, our thing was that we used that acoustic guitar, a nylon string acoustic. Um, that was amplified through a battery of effects. So we had kind of a different approach than right. all the other shooters' okay. bands. Right. Yeah, it was awesome. And you wrote one of the. I remember back in the day, you wrote one of the one of the best pieces about a band. It was sad, but it was about when you guys broke up originally, like the breakup of the band. I remember it was something oh, yeah. about your last tour, and it was so good. It was like heartbreaking, but it was really good. It was. It was just, kind of an eye opener on what happened to a lot of our favorite bands at that time. Right, right, right. It just was how, the last vestige of making music before the internet came along. Right, so right. It was really hard to make fans. Right, right, and yeah, just about how these bands—it really didn't matter how great they were, how you know the, what what great no. uh, records or music they made. It didn't matter. It was just yeah. if, if you didn't get that break or something, or you didn't get uh, you didn't get noticed right. enough, then you were kind of doomed. And to be honest, I have nothing to complain about because we got about four or five rungs up a ten-rung ladder. Uh, and yeah. I spent, I spent the last 40 years meeting people who are not even one <laughs> rung up who'd like to have been me. Well, uh, so I try not to be too much of a, you know, bitch-a-thon about it. You, uh, you have two of them you're talking to yeah, right that's now. that's exactly yeah, so. right. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, exactly. and, and, you know, all's well, it ends well. Springhouse has done a ton of reunion tours. Right, yeah, so, you guys did. You guys are almost like the, the Who now with all your reunion tours. Well, the difference being that the Who have demand that can play any time we want. We just, <laughs> we just always assume there's no demand for us and we go away. Right, right, Which right. is the proper thing to do when no one wants you. <laughs> is and it? Then, then suddenly, you know, a whole bunch of people ask us to play. Oh, yeah. And there's okay. going to be a crowd there. And we're like, well, we never would have broken up in the first place. Yeah, but that's, how, that it, was that's the case. how it always is. But now, you'd get back, if you really got back together proper, you would people would no. Yeah, people would be like, <laughs> okay, enough already. Yeah, enough. Yeah. Why are they doing well, this? Well, also, they love you when you're gone. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. It's a sad, sad state of affairs with human beings is they just don't appreciate what they can have all the time. It's, it's a rare true. human being that can. That's but true. If, you know, like every pop song is about, oh, baby, I shouldn't have done you wrong, right? I shouldn't, I shouldn't have taken you for granted. Right. Well, if why do you keep doing it? Back to me, <laughs> right. Right? You know, I'll treat you like a goddess or a god or whatever. And, <laughs> and you know, of course, what ends up happening is if they reunite, the uh, same thing happens again. Same, right? Yeah. People do the same thing over and over again. Yeah. That's what so pop, that's what, never, yeah. Never, never reunites for very long. 
No. We, we come in, we say hello again. People treat us super well. We get great memories. And then like eight or nine years pass again. And people ask for us again. Okay, so so talking about uh, men, uh, guys maybe not treating girls that well, let's we could we could transition right into what we're talking. Oh, about. smooth, very smooth. <laughs> yeah. So who that, was, you... that was a one transition. There. Thank you. Well, you know we we are pros. We've been doing this for over a year now. Over a year. <laughs> <laughs> Episode seventy three. Right about that. Uh, so what? So what are we talking about? What do I had no idea when I asked you to be on the show? I said pick a record that got you high. And originally you said the Beatles, uh, a second record. Yeah. But the thing is that the Beatles' second album, which would be the obvious choice, isn't really an album. Right. It was, uh, it was a fake record that Capitol threw together because they thought Beatlemania wasn't going to last very long. Ah, uh, okay. They'd better cash in quick. Right. <laughs> That's what, the, exactly. So it's songs that they didn't include on the, on the American version of the first album, or a couple of covers and stuff, plus some, you know, singles that didn't make the album in England and they cobbled together this awesome rock and roll record yep. by steer accident yep right and uh interesting enough it has some of the same at least one of the same songs as uh one of the songs jerry lee was doing yep uh uh that same year because the jerry lee album was recorded in april and right. the beatles did like long tall sally very shortly before then okay. and it came out came out in early 64 as well so obviously little richard was looming large in both their minds yes right right so tell us we tell us what record you picked you mentioned his name well uh, jerry lee lewis the killer and what what album the album is live at the star club in hamburg germany in 1964 1964. i believe it was recorded april the 5th yeah it is without question the finest live album i've ever heard i and you know what's weird me and barry both said i mean me and barry listened to a lot of music, you know. We're we're men of about the same age as you. Yeah. We listen to ton. Neither of us knew about this. I record. had never heard this record. And, then and well, even even Jerry, unless they're really big fans, often don't know about. You know, considered a touchstone in his catalog. Oh, Whereas okay. the people who have heard it, reviewed it, know it, it's you know up there with any or James Brown. Um, all right, so how did, yeah, so was this record even released in the in the U.S.? So I was a huge Jerry Lee fan and Gene Vincent and Eddie Cochran like, and Buddy Holly. Like, and, so when did you first, uh, so uh, when were you into well, this? I, what age are we talking about? I, w- I was in the Beatles fan club when I was six. <laughs> it had all, all, wow. I had all their records, every one of their albums by the time they broke up. Really? So, so, um. What I started doing is looking at the names of the songwriters oh, okay. you know, on the records. And I was hearing things like, this is a Little Richard song. Right. This is a Chuck Berry song. Right. In fact, my, my greatest tribe when I was like 14, I finally found out who L. Williams was. Because they had done three of his songs on, my, on the records. Larry Williams. Yeah. <laughs> I ended up buying like five Larry Williams. Yeah. That's basically a year when I was 14, saving up my money. Didn't Larry Williams do, wasn't it? The something guitar, space guitar, or one of those. Didn't he do a crazy? No, not. Uh, he made some records with uh, Johnny Guitar Watson. Oh, okay, okay. But right. Larry Williams uh, was a different person. Okay. They teamed up for a while in the '60s. Okay. Both of them pretty bad blank uh, guitar players. Yes, they are. <laughs> so it's so it's interesting they would do that. But Larry, Larry Williams was one of those guys that they did three songs from. I'm like. I'd go into record stores and say, have you heard of L. Williams? Because there was no internet in those days. Of course. And they'd, they'd just stare at me blankly until I went <laughs> to this 
Yeah, no. It took me like a solid year, and I found this place called Colony in New York. And when I mentioned both L. Williams and the Beatles covers, they said, oh, you mean Larry Williams. There you go. So, of course, I was going to find Jerry Lee, too, just because he was the, one of the biggest names of that period. And I watched, you know, uh, I watched documentaries on the history of rock and roll, and they would always mention all these people who I'd records by. So right. it's pretty exciting. And Jerry Lee, gosh, you know, he was on TV, so they had good footage of him. And right. he was just a knockout live. But I had never heard a record like this until I was in my teenage years. And I was going to see Johnny Thunder's Heartbreakers. And they made one of my favorite live albums of all time, too. But like I said, The Who, Johnny Thunders, you name them. I don't think anybody made a more exciting live record than this Jerry Lee record. It, it, it is it, very it's amazing. It's it really hot. is. It's, it's very it's, hot. Yeah, yeah, it's hot. And the fact so that I, I've been telling people about it for 40 years. And <laughs> I've never I've never had anybody you know, say, like, no, I don't know what you're talking about there. Well, it helps that he's such a well-known guy. It's not like I'm talking about some obscure artist. He's, a, he's right, right. Probably, along with Little Richard, he's probably the you know greatest living rock and roll. Right. The fact that he's from the, the 1950s. He's, yeah. The fact that he's still drawing breath. Yeah. Is amazing. It is. Amazing. And he can still play too if you see him. Although he's a oh, shell really? of his former. Well. You know, he, he has. He just sits still now because he's old. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and he he, um, he also. Um, was the he was 1964? He was sort of still in his exile period uh, for the. Well, yeah, exactly. Uh, this is something I was talking to KGLT DJ Ron Sanchez about that the black bluesmen and the black R&B guys from the uh, 50s, you know, they were the victim of, of racism in America on tour. Right. But of then they'd go to Europe. And people weren't racist there. They didn't care that they were black. Right. So they get treated really well. And yeah. they have these adoring crowds. They get big money. They play like places 10 times bigger than they play in America. It makes you wonder why they ever came back here. Right. It does. Well, and they would make, yeah, there's those, you know, there's amazing, they would bother to be, they would film them. They would put them on television when they yeah. were there. And, um, uh, so, and that's the only reason we have some of the documents that we do that's of those right. artists is because, you know, oh, somebody bothered right. to film um, these guys in, in, on a tour. Um, and where, yeah. when they were here, nobody gave a shit. Well, I mean, Jerry Lee obviously wasn't black. No. He could, he could stay in any hotel he wanted and eat in any restaurant he wanted and you not know, have people yell epithets at him. But he wasn't disgraced. Yeah, for a oh, solid yeah. six years. He probably yeah. couldn't stay near like like a school, like a middle school, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, self-inflicted, obviously. Although, what people don't realize is, was he was 22 and it was his third wife. I don't think he'd bothered to finish divorcing his second one. Wow. And you know, in the South, where my mother and father grew up, or sorry, where my mother grew up and where my grandparents grew up. You know, it wasn't all that unusual for a 13-year-old to get married. Where, <laughs> where are they a from? On the young side, but for instance, my grandmother married at 16, and she was married 71 years. Wow. Yeah. Down well, in Louis yeah. Louisiana and my Texas. Yeah, my grandmother married at 16, and her husband was yeah. 38. So. A 13-year-old cousin is beyond the pale, though, I admit. Uh, yeah, it's and worth so, so, uh, so I say it was self-inflicted, and he was in reasonable disgrace. Yeah. And... Yeah. Uh, um, it was surprising to him, his reaction when he went to England, because he was desperate. At one point, he even tried this thing where he released a single under a fake name. Oh. Because he, he thought his stuff was great and people just weren't playing it because, you know, his reputation was shot. I think it was The Hawk or something uh, like that. Okay. Same, same trick Paul McCartney pulled a few years later. It didn't work. <laughs> for, for reverse reason, because Paul thought he was just selling because he was Paul McCartney. Uh. 
That's funny. <laughs> whereas, whereas Jerry Lee just wanted to sell some freaking records, right? Right. Yeah. Right. right. Um, but uh, he he stopped in England on the way to Germany, did a show for Granada TV, which is probably the finest live broadcast I've ever seen. If people want to see what, yeah, I watched like. that the other day. It's great. Yeah, I've watched that about fifty times in my life because I bought the DVD. <laughs> And you can find it on YouTube. Right. And the, the main takeaway from that is that about a third of the way through the show, the crowd just suddenly surrounds him. Yes. And he gets like, he gets a hot sweat. And suddenly he gets inspired and then he just starts rocking about 10 times harder than he was. He does. And it, it seems to me that the Hamburg show, although we have no footage of it, it just, the crowd was like that right from the beginning. Right off the bat. roaring their heads off. Yeah. And he was, he was excited. Oh yeah, and I've never heard I've never heard anyone hit a piano as hard as he's. Very hard. You could hear him yeah. hitting those keys like they're drums almost. You yeah, know, right. he's pounding well, on you, them. Um, it's very fortunate we have the Granada TV footage because you can see that is in fact exactly what he was doing. Right, right. He had right. absolutely no respect for a piano. No. <laughs> and uh, he had absolutely no respect for anything but just torching a song. Right. And howling it like, you know, he was being possessed by demons. Yeah, right. That's right. And yet he had tons of style and tons of touch. You know, he wasn't just this, like, kind of tub-thumping mauler. No, he, he could, no, was he, tremendously talented he could really, Yeah, he could really sing. He, uh, I mean, and the, he'd done tons of sessions for Sun Records playing in other people's music. Because once Sam Phillips got a load of his playing, he just wanted to use it all the time, even on the other people's records. Oh, uh, okay, okay. Um, so, yeah. I mean, the guy was just amazing. And, uh, uh, you know, he's, with the exception of Lewis Boogie, he's not even doing songs he wrote. He's just defining other people's songs in a way that even their versions can't. True, true. Right. So, this band but, he's playing with, they call themselves the Nashville Teens. The Nashville Teens, yeah. Right. I think it was just a bassist and a drummer, but they obviously could keep up with him. Oh, my and God. They, well, they could it, read him. Well, there's a guitar, they, there's a guitar player as well, you, right? Yeah, there is a guitar yeah. player on there, Johnny yeah, Allen. Was, yeah, now you, you mentioned you, a guitar player. It's right. funny because you, you could hardly hear him. Once in a while, you could hear him playing in there, but it's yeah. it, it's so it's so crazy to hear such such live like like just wild live music and not have a, a, a guitar, guitar like a guitar we're so used to rock and roll the guitar being the main yeah. thing and just this piano that's like you know louder than everything else right. uh and, it's and just, that that is a distinctive feature of the star club thing is that his piano is mic'd real hot and it yeah. really dominates the mix and yet instead of being sounding like a piano record it sounds like a percussion record in the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's hitting itself Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And the, uh, and the uh, crowd is a big... It's great because they, they obviously had some mics, like at least one oh, mic, two, two mics in the crowd. They did, yep. Um, yeah. And you, I, I didn't know German audiences could get that <laughs> animated. I Usually, think, I'm well, going to guess that everybody... That camp, yeah. You know, even in the punk rock years, like bands like Bad Religion would go over there in the 80s and get treated like royalty. Oh, okay, okay. Like playing in places like Bremen, not even like Berlin, you know, they would have these monster crowds of people just who'd know every one of their songs. Right. Uh, Maybe that's what Tom Smith did. the same thing if you go to Tokyo or Buenos Aires. You know, sometimes, (laughs) again, people don't appreciate what's in their midst. Right. (laughs) If you go further afield, sometimes they understand. And uh, obviously in the early 60s, you know, the Beatles went to Hamburg for the same reason. Right. Uh, English... English rock and roll bands were sedate outside of Liverpool. You know, they were, with the exception of uh, Cliff Richard and the Shadows and Johnny Kidd and the Pirates and a few others, there were a lot of these kind of crooner types. Right. Kind of English, English version of Frankie Avalon, like right. Fame and stuff like that. So the Beatles went to Germany where they really wanted that stuff. Right, right. You know? 
But still, even yeah. even the Beatles, as great as they were, and they were wearing at that point, they were wearing leather suits. But they were still like uh, good boys. They were nice boys and everything. And they didn't. This um, Jerry Lee was like a menacing criminal. Figure. Well, yeah. he's a, the killer. I don't know. All of our tapes and all of our remembrances of the pre-fame Beatles in Hamburg, they were not nice boys. Oh, really? They weren't? They, <laughs> they were uh, taking speed every day, playing nine or ten hours, and then having sex with anybody who would want to have oh, sex with Oh, them. that's scary. No, getting, no, getting, still, but there were... Getting venereal disease up yeah. the wazoo. Yeah. And Paul McCartney? starving because they didn't like German food. Oh, okay. Well, what do I know? See? <laughs> I think at one point, Jerry, uh, John Lennon even like took a pee on uh, some passing nuns in the street or something Ooh, like that. Okay. So I don't know if you could really characterize the pre-fame Beatles as okay. nice boys. None of, know, them, none of them married their... They didn't marry a 13-year-old cousin. cousin, though, Jack, so... No. Uh, that they didn't. <laughs> and also... None, Jerry, of their, none of their wives have died under mysterious circumstances. You, I read that... Although it, George Harrison lied about his age and got deported. Because <laughs> oh, go. he was only 15. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, shit. Yeah. I didn't yeah. Know. Now, how did... And you, the, the promoter knew about it, but kept his mouth shut until a rival promoter stole the band. Oh, and then, then, he, he su- uh, then he suddenly I'll, noticed. I'll fix you. <laughs> no, I, I yeah. just, I'm just curious. How did you become like you were? You remember the Beatles fan club at six? Like, how did you get into this kind of music like this at such a young age? Well, I was born in 1962. You couldn't go anywhere without hearing the Beatles about a hundred times a day. There's never been an entertainment phenomenon like that. I mean, it really was a mania. You'd hear them in, like, uh, the grocery store where my mother was buying Fruit Loops. You know, you'd hear them at uh, the gas station. I guess, but you, were paying, gas. but you were paying attention because I was born in 1963, and I, I sort of remember the Beatles, like, later when I was older, but I yeah. don't remember them that young, yeah. you know? Well, part of it was just um, I had a Chipmunks record singing the Beatles that I like. Wow. And then you'd hear the real versions and go like, wow, that's a lot more exciting. Yeah, right, yeah. right, right. But I think it's also just I was predisposed because yeah. I was listening to everything around. I heard little bits of the Kinks and the Who and, and uh, oh, okay. you know, Paul Revere and the Raiders. And I used to watch those bands on TV. We'd watch the Monkees once every week, you know. Right. Anything that was that involved guitars and singing, even like the folk rock of that stuff really interested me. Right. Um, um, yeah, like so you Peter, got... Paul, and Mary and the Kingston Trio and stuff like that. We watched the Smothers Brothers when I was five. And if the Beatles were on Ed Sullivan, I was always allowed to stay up an extra half an hour. Oh. You know, so I'd always check the TV guide and <laughs> every week when it came in. So you had, indul- you, had a, you, had, you had parents that indulged your, your, uh, your passion and interest. Yeah, though they hated rock music, which is quite funny. Oh, did they? But, <laughs> yeah, my parents grew up on the, you know, the hit parade. And uh, on the the, uh, the American songbooks, so they were more into Sinatra and Perry Como. Right, and, right. Uh, and my dad looked a lot like Tony Bennett. Ah. So. <laughs> um, so what? Now your son? How old is your son now? Is he like? Uh, how old is he? My son is eleven. He's eleven. I now showed was... him the Jerry Lee Jerry Lee Granada footage not more than like three weeks ago. We we agreed it was you know red hot. All right. So the, second, he's... the last two thirds of it. Yeah. Right. Now here's one thing I always wonder with people like uh, um, like of, of your age I have kids like because there, there was a funny uh, I don't I don't know if it was an Onion article or something about like dad you know uh, exposes his kid to music that will make sure that no one none of his peers will ever be into yeah right <laughs> yeah although fortunately because we live in Brooklyn 
there's a tolerance of a lot of different types of music. Right. I think if I raised him in Montana, they would find him to be more of a kook. Yeah. All right, but I still, but Jack, yeah. I just want to prepare you because at some point when he's the teenager, he's, you're going to have to let, he's going to come home liking some kind of god-awful shit. It's going to be like oh, my daughter already does reggaeton that. or something like that. Yeah. And you just have yeah. to, yeah, you have to roll with it because kids, I, I'm, I'm a firm believer that kids have to like some things that their yeah. parents hate, you know? They're That's not like exactly going to surprise me because I was 16 when I brought the Sex Pistols and the Flash home. Right, right, to, yeah. To, to people who thought Perry Como was the best music so <laughs> he's gonna have a hard time you know finding music that uh, i dislike so much oh but he will like. though <laughs> you ever hear some of that uh, probably mumble rap or something like. <laughs> some mumble my, my rap. parents really thought i needed a therapist right well you know they may have had a point jack uh, <laughs> uh well you know they they were quoting the sex pistols apparently i was playing the record real loud because they said What's this? No future. No future. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> great. That's stuff. great. That's good. And the, the guy that they wanted to send me to said, gosh, if I had $5 for every teenager that was worried about his future, oh, I'd right? be a rich man. Right? Well, you ended up... <laughs> that, how is that sign of mental difficulty, you know? Right. Well, you ended up doing all right for yourself. You did. And all right, let's get into this record proper. Let's let's listen to some of this because I know uh, I'm excited that we're doing this because I'm excited to turn a lot of people on to something probably that they never heard. Uh, yeah, I never heard. And that they're going to go, holy shit, man. It's an incredible live record. <laughs> this yeah. is the shit. All right, so let's listen to the first song on this record. Uh, he opens up with Mean Woman Blues. Mm, I got a woman mean as she could be. on those keys yes um and yeah what a barn burner opener it's like a, so this is by claude demetrius claude demetrius who uh first recorded by elvis presley which there's a, a couple songs on here that elvis did also right right they well he was the biggest thing you know other than jerry lee at the time so. right right and uh, it was also part of the soundtrack for his 1957 motion picture, Loving You. So Mean Woman Blues was on there. But I have a feeling Elvis didn't do it as hard as no, Jerry Lee does oh, it no, no, on no. this. Right? No, and, and when Jerry Lee gets to Hound Dog later in the recording, he absolutely torches Elvis. Yeah, and he I'm does. But, I mean, if you play the Elvis version of Hound Dog, which is, you know, his idea of um, um, Big Mama Thornton, for starters. Right. He, I think Jerry Lee sounds even blacker than Big Mama Thornton. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a, yeah. There's a whole story behind uh, Hound Dog too. The the uh, with uh, once we get we'll get there. It's it's uh, we we got a, we got a few more tracks to talk about before that. But right. um, Mean Woman Blues. Um, 
Straight up 12 bar blues and um, she's got ruby lips, shapely hips. Boy, she makes old Jerry flip. I love how just about every song he, ma- he, he throws himself in there yeah. and he does right. manage to make it sound sala- as salacious as the lyrics are because most of these right. blues songs oh, yeah. have double. He makes it sound Much extra more. salacious. Uh, double. Uh, he doubles it up. Uh, I saw Jerry Lee after a Yankees game along with Fats Domino in 85, and I counted the number of times he mentioned his own name. <laughs> 27 <laughs> mentions of Jerry Lee Lewis by nice. Jerry Lee Lewis. Yeah. Nice. In well, one 40-minute set. He wants to make sure everyone remembers, remembers who they're seeing. Yeah. yeah right. That was July 4th, 1985. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the second uh, the second song we get into is, uh, this is an awesome uh, song, oh and this God. is actually from a movie, too. And uh, it's kind of kind of a little, a little unfortunate that this came out after it was found out that he married his 13-year-old uh, yeah. cousin, but let's listen to a little bit of High, High School, School Confidential. Confidential. You better open up a honey, get your lover boy me that's knocking. You better listen to me, sugar roller, cut the red to high school and rock it. Honey, get your bobbin shoes, for the chuckle box and blow the fuse. Got everybody hopping, everybody bobbing, bobbing up a high school hop. Rocking it, uh, bobbing at the high school uh, tonight. Um, and I love the way the timing of that when he d- when they do those hits. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, it's dead. It's just dead on the the rhythm section. Is is uh, just you know they're just totally in sync with uh, yeah. with him. And I gotta say, you can hear the guitar in there. I, I, I you kind of dis. I heard you lay a little diss on the guitar player, but actually, there's some fine guitar playing on this record. If you. Oh, yeah. If you, uh, um, it's, and it sounds like a telly through a Fender amp that's turned up to 10 and yeah. uh, to try to compete with uh, that yeah, piano. Yeah, good luck to him, right? <laughs> yeah. Compete with yeah, that. it's a really basic recording, too. They just put the mics real close yeah. to the amp and, you know, and uh, right into the piano and let it fly. Yeah, and it's mixed. So it's, it's mixed just live. What you would have so, heard you know, there's no. There's no, uh, um, you know, there's no multi-tracking. This is mixed live. Oh. So however it was, uh, however, it, yeah, basically like that record got yeah. me high. Whatever went into the uh, uh, um, tape machine is how it, you know, how it came out. Just incredible, yeah. Um, yeah. So there's no, there's no film of of this show at all, right? This is just recorded. No, no in, in fact, it. even two of the songs that he recorded have been lost to history. And right. The third oh, right. One I was, saw that. I saw that. There's a third song that was uh, recorded that had a defect and came out on a Bear, Fam- a Bear Family compilation. Okay, boy. They so, were- for, for instance, one of the songs is one of his own songs, um, uh, I'm on Fire, which is on the Granada footage. And oh, is, is, okay. is when that concert starts to kick into gear. Because that's, <laughs> the, the, that's when the people... It's when the people start surrounding his piano in, in England. Yeah. And he starts okay. going right. hog wild. They start, their heads start bobbing. Yeah. So there's actually, it was a two set show and there was three songs missing. 
only one of which that we have excellent. But, you know, it's still a pretty darn incredible record. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it is. It is. All right, so now we get to a song. The third song is a song that now... Had the Beatles done this already? Money? Uh, yes, I believe they had because uh, it came out in England, uh, I guess, in late 63, early 64 with with the with the Beatles album. Okay. So it was about, th- but only like three months before had it been released. Right, right. And he says, he mentions on it that this is a song that uh, we did pretty good, that did pretty good for us. So I don't know. Uh, what yeah, thought. Jerry Lee recorded uh, most of these songs at some point. Right, right. You right. know, because he didn't write a lot of songs himself, all of his songs were often uh, tunes that were popular for other people. Right. Even, even a whole lot of shaking going on, which is considered one of his great standards. I think he was like the third or fourth person to record that. Oh, song. yeah, yeah. There's a different... Uh... Uh, Maybell, Mama. Um, yeah, I played. I played them on my radio show because I love doing that. Yeah, Showing, like the evolution of a song before it ends up with the. You should with do a uh, popular version. You should do uh, sloppy drunk blues. You should try try d- digging digging that one. Uh, there's, <laughs> a, there's a there's a long history on that one. Yeah, I you know, Jerry Lee taught me about some people too, like Chuck Willis. Jerry Lee is the reason I found out about Chuck Willis. Oh, uh, okay. Stuff like rock and like I don't want to hang up my rock and roll shoes and stuff like that. Right. I mean, Chuck Willis died real young, so in the fifties. So most people don't remember him anymore, and I wouldn't have. But Jerry Lee was had an ear for a good tune, and would add it to his set, and that's that's how I found out about a number of artists that way. All right. Yeah. Plus, he would do. Yeah, obviously did Ray Charles quite a bit. Right, and, and you'd uh, have to find, but you'd have to just get the records and read and see who was on it because you couldn't just get on the internet and see, oh, who wrote this one? Well, <laughs> and Money, yeah. Money, written, uh, co-written by Barry Gordy. That's uh, right. Of, uh, uh, well, yeah, I mean Barry had a habit of putting his name on things. <laughs> that's also, right. There is, yeah, there's, there's oh, some really? speculation that, that he it, didn't really have anything to do with it. Uh, Jane, but Jane he Bradford. was also a talented musician, so. He was, but he wasn't yeah, sure as he... egregious as some of these people, like Alan Freed, getting their name on records that had nothing to do with. There you go. <laughs> All right, let's hear. A, let's hear a little bit of uh, Jerry Lee doing money. Beautiful, it's great. Uh, he smokes the Beatles, of course. You know, I gotta say, he's well. Be, be careful what you say, say about the Beatles to Jack. I, yeah, <laughs> on this one, you know, he's just got the um, he's got the uh, authentic. Um, what can I say? The authentic desire for filthy lucre comes. <laughs> oh yeah, right? you can, yeah, you can hear that. Yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and uh, obviously Barrett Strong was an American, and so was Jerry Lee. So it was a little closer to the source, uh, right? Right. And, yes. And your love. This, uh, this song has my one of my favorite rock and roll couplets ever. Your love give me such a thrill, but your love don't pay my don't bills. Don't pay my bills. <laughs> I love that. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> it's even funnier when a woman sings it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, there's the Spinal Tap ver- uh, 
get, it's just get, give me some give me, mo- give give me, me some, some money. money. Yeah. <laughs> right. The, the pre-spinal tap uh, band. Yes. That's really funny because I've actually gotten to know the drummer in that band, Rick Parnell. He's a friend of a friend. Oh, really? He, to, <laughs> he hangs out in Montana quite a bit, and I see him here. Oh, nice. He hasn't. And I'm always amazed that he doesn't spontaneously. Like, I was going to say yeah, he hasn't right? uh, combusted yeah. yet. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I told him at least he didn't choke on his own vomit because, you know, of course, you can't dust for vomit. So. <laughs> you, that's right. You can't dust for vomit. Yeah. Right. He goes, no, I was I was long out of the band by then, he said. <laughs> He's uh, actually in a more famous band called Atomic Rooster, but only famous in England. Oh, you're right. Exactly. Yeah, they were uh, yeah. Yeah, 70s uh, sort of boogie. Right. Like a, whereas, a status quo kind of thing, right? The Tommy right. Whereas I know him from playing with Dennis Tech from Radio Birdman. He plays on his solo records. And uh, if you go on YouTube, you'll see him doing a session, Dennis Tech, for, for me in Bozeman, Montana. And Ricky's just wailing on the drums. All right. And, oh, nice. and, and Dennis is covering like the Peter Green era of Fleetwood Mac. Ooh. Doing, you know, oh, well. My it's, heart like Peter Green. Yeah, one take like and it's just yeah. hot. When, when you hang up with me, go check that out. You'll love it. Cool. <laughs> You'll see me hanging out in the back background. Just well, I'm a big I'm Mac. a big fan of the Peter Green uh, Fleetwood Mac. So, yeah. yeah. And, of course, you know, Radio Birdman. What a great band. So. I, yeah. think, I, I think I first read about Radio Birdman in Big Takeover. Because I actually you did. probably did. You know, I, <laughs> well, I think I know I did. And there are some bands that became some of my favorite bands that I know for sure, like... Leatherface. I remember you were early on with Le- Leatherface, and the first time oh, I yeah. ever heard I about them. I was completely knocked out by Frankie. And, and, and then yeah. just by you being so talking them up so much, I went out and started buying Leatherface records, and they're great. I, I don't think there's a bad. I don't think those guys ever made a bad record. No, they didn't. Right? And yeah. That so often happens. If you're gonna rave that much. You better have your, you know, finger on something, or people are just never going to believe you again. Exactly. Oh, I, I would have if they if they sucked. I would have thrown. I would have never read Big Takeover again. Yeah, but <laughs> I, I try to always match the level of my raving for just how powerful a record feels to me, right? And what powerful effect it has on me. But that <laughs> at least gives me a, a leg to stand on. Yep. All right, so let's get uh, well, now. We got a Carl Perkins song here, which uh, this was a song. Sort I Sort was... of a Carl Perkins song. He's oh, really? uh, adapted from old blues material. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, yeah. All right, let's hear a little yeah. bit. Uh, let's hear a little bit of Matchbox. I'm just sitting here wanting with a Matchbox for my When they do songs like this, which aren't the, the frantic barn burners, you could really hear his piano. Oh, like how yeah, great, he's a fantastic great piano, piano player. player he was. Well, those guys sure believe in repertoire. Right, you know, yeah, yeah. Well, he's got the slower a, and, and more moody stuff sets up the heavy stuff. Exactly. So, you got to break it up, and it's not, you know, it's not a Ramon set. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and he was, you know, just the same as he was a label made of Elvis and Newman personally. He was a label made of Carl Perkins and Newman personally. Right. Right. They were all friendly and sometimes played together. I think he played on some of Carl's sessions, for example, like we were talking about before. Right. And uh, and jeez, uh, you're absolutely right. I think. What was it, Blind Lemon Jefferson? Well, actually, it started off. It actually started off with Ma Rainey, and those, Ma Rainey. so, and then Ma Rainey, yeah. and then um, Blind Lemon Jefferson, of course, 
you know, uh, the, Carl is probably, yeah, Carl is probably yeah. listening to Blind Lemon Jefferson because John, yeah. I should, if I, you know, he's one of my favorite blues artists. Some of his right. his songs are just uh, uh, poignant. And the fact right. that he was uh, left to left to freeze to death in the snow by uh, uh, a manager Ooh. of his <laughs> makes his life even more sort of poignant. He was, yeah, he was a like wealthy a blues, man. His life was a blues song. Yeah, but he had a lot of money. He sold a lot of records. A Blind Lemon Jefferson was a very popular recording artist, but he always yeah. needed somebody to uh, shepherd him around because he was the authentically was blind. blind. Yeah. Uh, and one um, of them decided just to keep the loot and leave him in the snow, and he froze to death. Oh. Yeah, that's horrible. It's a it's it's a story not worth talking about here because it's so depressing. It is incredibly <laughs> it is depressing. depressing. Well, speaking you, of you throw in the racism angle too. Well, it's it's it, how blacks were treated in the oh, 20s yeah, and 30s. Sure. Oh god, oh, yeah, in the South. So, the just another tale of abject woe. Yes, but uh, yeah, I mean, he also was listening to uh, country swing versions too because there were a few of those. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. Matchbox Blues yep. too, and rock and roll. When you hear Jerry Lee do it, in particular, you feel. That confluence, yes, the, the absolute like synthesis of bluegrass music, mountain music, yeah, uh, western music, country music, blues, rhythm yeah. and blues, jump blues, early R and B. It's all one giant stew. Yep. Yeah, it's all there, right? Um, so when you got this, so you said you finally got this actual record when you were a teenager, right? Yeah, I finally found a copy because you know import were not easy to come by right, right. in the late 1970s. So again, I had to go into Manhattan. <laughs> and I found it at a place called Golden Discs. <laughs> oh, nice. Golden Discs. It was on, like, Bleecker Street. So, uh, so um, and again, how many- I had asked around it for a few years before I finally came up with a copy. And, right. You know, that wasn't unusual. Like, in the late 70s, I couldn't find any records by the Stooges. Because they were hopelessly out of print. Right. The Velvet Underground yeah. or the MC5. When we finally found New York Dolls, we found a gatefold double album from like France. <laughs> oh, nice. So, I mean, people just can't imagine now spending a year or two looking for a record because right. you can have everything sure. at your fingertips. But yeah. right. a lot of my youth was spent on these like treasure hunts that would take me several years. and I just have this like mental list in my head whenever I'd find a store I'd never been to before. I'd say, do you, do you have any Chuck Willis? Do you have any Larry Williams? Do you have anything by the New York Dolls or the MC5? You know. Yep. All right. And so they, when you so when you got yeah. this record, you got this the end of side one. It had the two. You had two versions of uh, what I say. You did like a part one, which is more like part, just the the more traditional rock and cover, and then the band's kind of stretches out a little on yeah, uh, part, part two. two. Yeah. But, well, it's but, a great well, groove. The original Ray Charles single is like that, you know. Oh, it okay. It actually okay. does continue on the second side of the single because there was no oh. seven minute records like Hey Jude in those days. Right, right. So it was just part one on side A and part two when you flip the forty five over. Nice. All right, let's hear just a little bit of uh, what I say. So good. So good. 
baby, get so good, 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 good. I'm in love with Jerry all night long. Um, yeah, again, the, the his playing just is like, and you know, Jack, I, I don't know, listening to this, like, I, I listen to two songs, and I'm thinking, if, if I'm any of these musicians, I'm exhausted already. Yeah, well, that's, I think, I think that's where the amphetamine plays in. <laughs> Wasn't there some? No, the, the Beatles were doing that. I think Jerry Lee was just on natural Jerry Leeisms. Yeah. Well, I was wondering, I was wondering about that. Yeah, I, was wondering, I, don't I don't know. know. Come on now. He's Probably a, just drinking. He has, uh, his bio um, mentions that he introduced, uh, or one bio mentions that he introduced uh, Elvis and who else to uh, uh, um, uh, to narcotics. Who was the who was it? Was it Elvis and uh, Carl Perkins? To uh, yeah. So uh, I think Jerry probably, you know, um, might have had some help with his high energy performances. <laughs> <laughs> it's possible, but I wouldn't. Put oh, Johnny it down Cash. No, it was Elvis and Johnny Cash. Yeah, right. And uh, uh, Myra Lewis talked a bit about that in her book too. The the cousin that he married. Oh, that he had a, had he a problem with some of the devil's dandruff, but <laughs> you know, having having seen him play a few dozen times, I don't think he really needed it. Yeah. Right, right, right. Well, I don't know, man. Hillbillies and speed just kind of go together. <laughs> I th- I think what inspired him was just anybody paying attention because uh, he just yeah. wanted to. Okay. He just wanted to. Send, basically blow away everybody that ever lived in the history of the world. Right. Okay. And he he used to get ticked off because his mother liked Chuck Berry. So he would do all <laughs> kinds of Chuck Berry songs that proved to his mother that he was better. Wow. wow. That's hilarious. Competitive. It? That is hilarious, yeah. man. You always got to please and, your mom. And, you know, if he had to open for any of those guys, you know, even though they were acquaintances of his, he would set the piano on fire. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right. And then come off the stage and say, beat that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we flipped the we flipped the record over and we got his signature uh, one of his signature, signature. songs yeah, yeah. that was actually written by Otis Blackwell and Jack, Jack Hammer. Hammer. Uh, so let's hear a little bit of Great Balls of Fire. Here's one we hope you enjoy it. Ladies and gentlemen, you shake my nerves and you rattle my brain. Everybody loved how the man sang. Oh, the phrasing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. Yeah, and that one, like High School Confidential, was one he originated. He was he was the guy that you know did the first version. The first oh, version of okay, it. Oh yeah, okay. right, right. Yeah, exactly. most most of his repertoire he was doing tunes that he came across, but right. that one was given to him by Otis Blackwell. They gave and, it to uh, the right. Fine job he did with yeah, it too. Yeah, they gave it to the right person. Yeah. If you, if you watch the uh, footage of him on TV on like the Steve Allen show in the late 50s, you know, he was quite a phenomenon before his disgrace. Right. He was right. hotter than Elvis there for even a short while. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. You can only imagine. Although he probably would have done something else really bad. Well, that's <laughs> the thing. I, I kind of wonder if there's a self, there was a self, um, 
destructive element in his, the Myra thing. He had to know. Well, he was married seven times, so right there, tell she Yeah. Something. yeah. Right. And Myra used to point out that she was married to him longer than all the rest of them. That's right. right. It's true. 13 she years. Was, she was the only one who walked out on him, too. Oh, really? Ooh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, she, she had 13 years of that in the age of 26. She said, I'm out of here. Oh. Bye. And he went, he was furious. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Well, some of his wives couldn't walk away. They, uh... Yeah. We, we were having, <laughs> yeah, we were having that discussion just, yeah, uh, right. before the show about some of uh, the reason he's called the killer is not only because of his live performances, but a couple of right. his wives, uh, there was one boating accident, mysterious right. boating accident, and another. Although he's also, to be honest, he's cursed. His son, Steve Allen Lewis, drowned in a swimming pool accident oh, yeah, when he was like right. two. Yeah. Yeah. When they were having a party and no one was paying attention oh. to the baby because they were probably all freaking drunk, drunk, right? Oh, probably, yeah. yeah. Oh, That's horrible. <laughs> so, you know, he was the killer as a musician. The rest of it is, well, I don't know what to say about any of that, to be honest. Right, right. He um, had some wives die under mysterious uh, <laughs> circumstances, yeah. but none of them were, you know, no well, one actually thought he murdered them, so. If you, I guess if you get married like seven times, the, the odds that at least one of your wives will they die do. increase. Yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. Of, you know. yeah. Uh, he's, he's had a very star-crossed life. I he think has. That's pretty I obvious. can't believe he's, whenever, he's still alive. whenever I think that he's still alive, it's like, wow. And yeah, Little Richard, too. That's ama- that, you know, the fact that Little Richard is still drawing breath, it just blows my mind. Yeah, just because of the longevity. I think Fats Domino lived to be pretty darn old. Yes, too, he but, did. But no, nobody's Hubie Blake yet. Oh, right. How old was 98 or something like that? I think he was still playing piano at the age of 100 or something. Yeah, like I remember that. him on Saturday Night Live at the end, yeah. the end of his life. They oh. brought him on. Yeah, he was. And, he and my, my first date, if I ever had one with my wife, was seeing um, Doc Cheatham. Who was well into his 90s? Wow! And still doing jazz brunch in the like 1920s. Louis Armstrong said he used to do. Wow! Sometimes filling in for Armstrong. So you know, some some of these people they really just have it, and music kind of keeps them young in some strange way if they can keep performing. Right. All right. So we got uh, speaking of Little Richard, we got a song uh, that was uh, yeah. first recorded by Little Richard. Uh, a great drumming in this one by uh, Barry Jenkins. Listens to a little uh, "Good Golly, Miss Molly." Good golly, Miss Molly. That band is just white They're hot. hot. <laughs> yeah. They're hot. And- whenever, whenever I DJ or if I'm trying to explain to someone how great this record is, I always play Good Golly Miss Molly into Hound Dog. Just let yeah, that right. thing. Especially starting the second half of Good Golly Miss Molly and through the entirety of Hound Dog, you hear he just hits one of those Jerry Lee scenes. <laughs> and he's, he's just off to the races. And, you know, the sheer momentum of his ability in his band just carries them away with the song right right and I, that I, is the abandon that is the release that is the absolute like breaking through of all constraints that rock and roll promised kids 
in the 1950s. <laughs> yeah. And once in a while still delivers on like on a Leatherface record or something. <laughs> <laughs> so how many times do you think you've listened to this record, Jack, in your lifetime? Oh, I'd say about 200 times. Wow. <laughs> nice. Um, I've listened to probably James Brown, the Apollo, like 50. And, right. Uh, Johnny Thunder's Heartbreakers at Max's Kansas City about 100 because I was at those gigs. Oh, wow. And um, I don't know, The Who, uh, uh, some of the recordings that I have of them, I've listened to quite a bit. Right. Uh, uh, those were the finest live acts of that whole era, I think. Yeah. You yeah. know, James Brown on a Tammy show trying to show up the Rolling Stones and doing it quite nicely. Well, yeah, he does show up the Rolling Stones. So <laughs> yeah, I think well, they that... had the stupidity of playing after him, and nobody oh, did that. No, never followed James Brown. They were the only ones around. to be that dumb. Yeah, and then Mick, and then Mick, Mick tries to kind of do a little James Brown dancing, and it's like, no. Yeah. Just, <laughs> no. They look like Pat Boone. They do, basically. yeah. Pat, awesome. Boone, Pat Boone's version of Jerry, yeah. Jerry Lee or, or Little Richard or Fat Domino. He, they just look like a bunch of tight-ass white guys. Right. And, they, you know, they were a really great band, which just goes to show how stupid it was. To follow James Brown. To follow, you know, an absolute phenomenon. Never. Don't play after Hendrix. Right. No. Don't play after The Who and don't play after Jerry Lee and don't play after James Brown. There you go. If you're, if you're a band in the 1960s. Jack, Rab <laughs> Jack Rabbit's rules to Rock and roll rules yeah. to live by. Yeah, you, for 1960s acts, I'll go back in my time machine and warn them all. <laughs> right. You people are crazy. <laughs> You'll save them. Uh, all right, yeah. so we've mentioned uh, Lewis, but this is the one Jerry Lee Lewis Penn song. <laughs> right. My name is Jerry Lewis, come from Louisiana. Yeah. Let's hear a little bit of Lewis Boogie. Until you gotta break it, son of a I do my little boogie woogie every day now. We didn't know you were gonna uh, mow your lawn suddenly. Uh. <laughs> yeah, are you driving? Is it? Are you, dri uh, are you driving? I am outside. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, it's all right. <laughs> there are some people in Montana with you know large vehicles. <laughs> oh, or something. Uh, so the thing is, because Jerry Lee didn't write his own material, the reason he's got to keep playing live is he's not able to rely on any publishing um to to keep him in, in uh you know new songs no, he's right. got to get on the road no. and go out there and play somebody else's songs and and make money off the live gigs and lewis boogie is enough that makes you wonder why a guy with an eye for you know some cash didn't do it more often because he's right. so so popular yeah right before before myra lewis that he could have made a ton right right even just on b-sides you know like the rolling stones you see have their songs on the beast side when they started out. Right. Yep. And so they, they'd get half the money for somebody else's song, like Time Is On My Side, you know? Right. Yeah. Or, or Not Fade Away. But there, but there I don't is know some, why he didn't do it. Well, you know what? You, you say that, but also, it, it, 
it, it's not so easy. Like, these songs are all great songs, yeah. you know? It's like you right. say, well, right, yeah, because, I mean, the, this song, the Lewis Go Boogie in there and write okay. something like Great Balls of Fire. Or like, right? or like yeah. this next song here, Your Cheating Heart, which is oh. like, this is like, so, I, I forgot, just listening to him see it and then going over and listening to the lyrics, it's like, man, what a great song this is. Hank, yeah. Hank does sad better than anybody. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the songs that isn't extant is also his version of You Win Again. Oh, which wow. was his sta uh, staple of Jerry Lee's sets in 64. Wow. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So he was obviously enamored with Hank Williams as the rest of us. And later in the 60s, he would make a string of country records, Jerry right. Lee. And he right. was that, successful with those. As yeah, well. they returned him to public you know, prominence in America. Right. So this is like the one time in the record where they kind of bring it down a little. He brings it down, does it, but it, but it, but it really works on the record right here. Just brings it down and let's hear a little bit of your Fuck out of this song. He does, too, you know? yeah, and uh, yeah, yeah, and the lyrics. You know, it's got great lyrics. Hank, oh. Hank knows the human psyche well. That you know, you, you're not gonna be able to sleep. You're not gonna be able to sleep because you're cheating. cheating. No, it's gonna keep you awake. I know it's so great. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, Hank, the Hank Williams box set's the most money I've ever spent on any one. Oh really? In my life. Yeah, I'm gonna say. Yeah. I think Jad Fair gave me that back in the early days of of MP3s. That uh, when I was doing, I used to do half Japanese. I used to do their website and or Jad's website. And uh, he was like, Mary, would you, would you? I've got the Hank Williams box set. Would you like me to send it to you? And I was like, Hell yes! <laughs> yeah. so, and I've still got it. I oh man, wedding, be well, wedding bells, wedding bells are ringing in the chapel. I mean, oh yeah. my god, incredible stuff. Yeah. Unbelievable, some of those songs. Sadness. It's. Um, I'll play it. My wife is like, Oh, it's Hank. It's gonna be sad. <laughs> well, unless it's something like Hey, Good Looking. Yeah, but it, the, the, there there are some songs. There are there. right. Yes, there are, but, but not then, that many. Not that many, and and you know that what happens after that 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 party the next the, the there's always something sad happens the next morning. You got to write a song right. about that too. <laughs> Especially if you were drinking like Hank Williams was. Uh, they, and speaking of amphetamines, yes, drink, but yeah. booze and amphetamines. The, the Until story one day is, you just didn't wake up. The story <laughs> is that the coroner, his autopsy report said, "Here lies the body of an approximately 60-year-old man. He was yeah. he was 38. Right. <laughs> oh God! Yeah, I think he was 28. 20? Was he 28? Or I think Hank Williams was 27 oh. or 28. Oh, wow. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. yeah so. hard living that, there. That club that uh, Kurt Cobain's mom was talking about that he joined. I think Hendrix was in there. Oh, right. The 27-year-old club. Okay. All right. Yeah. He, was, he looks about 45 in the picture. Oh, man. Hank was in his 20s. Wow. He does. You look at his face and it's... Uh, um... Very gaunt. Uh, yeah, to say the least. Whereas Jerry Lee's face was very full-figured. <laughs> it was. He, he always looked. 
He looked a little flushed a lot just from, you know, the weight he carried around and the intensity that he played. He sweats a lot on stage, and it just made him look better. It does, There's not right. a lot of people and, you can say And that the about. hair falls down in his face, yeah, and he's got to yeah. flip it back up. <laughs> and yeah. you are correct. Hank Williams is 29 years old. Wow. Yeah, I knew he was in his 20s. Oh, Jesus. man. All right, so now here's the song uh, originally done by Big Mama Thornton, made famous by a uh, little, little boy named Elvis. Let's hear how it Pounding on that piano, just pounding on that. Yeah, piano. and uh, the story about Hound Dog is an interesting uh, Wikipedia entry on uh, Hound Dog is where uh, Lieber and Stoller were um, they they were contacted by uh, the manager, whoever was managing uh, uh, Big Mama, that she'd just been signed to a new record label and they wanted to get her a hit, so they. Um, they uh, came in the studio and uh, they asked her, you know, they did, they basically wrote the song in about 20 minutes and they came back in and they had an idea of how they wanted her to perform it and she was, she said, oh, it's going to be my big hit. So she tried to sing it like Frank Sinatra <laughs> and they were like, they were like, no, no, no. And so um, one of the guys managed to show her how they wanted, wanted it to be sung and then, okay, so they went down to record it, and the drummer who um, was on the session couldn't get the feel right. So the, actually the producer of, uh, of the session, they said, I'll play, he said, I'll play the drums, and the two white boys have to do the, they're um, going to have to produce the session. And so Lieber and Stoller actually ended up doing the actual production, and the producer <laughs> played drums on it. Later on, even though it was very clear that Lieber and, Lieber and um, Stoller wrote the song, Big Mama started claiming that she wrote it and started putting her name on it. So um, there was a huge protracted legal battle over uh, the royalties for uh, uh, Hound Dog. Now that happened. All right, a lot sorry. Uh, yeah, for on Hound Dog. Yeah. Yeah. All the songs Led Zeppelin, Zeppelin stole. It took like thirty years for them to. Oh yeah, I'm song. sure. Yeah, yeah. You know, some of the people just steal the song. You know, claim you wrote it. Yep, I'm sure Peter well, Grant had a hand in that too. Well, we're back to Carl Perkins. You know, taking um, Matchbox Blues stuff. So that well, yeah, just, yeah, you know, right. Transposing some of the chords and making up some yeah, extra words. Yeah, you add it. some extra words, but you know what? Um, that one of the you know Muddy Water. What was Sonny Boy Williamson said about Muddy Waters? He didn't originate shit. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Sonny Boy Williamson didn't even originate his own name. He didn't. But the funny thing about Sonny Boy, even though he stole his name, Sonny Boy did actually um, write a lot of blues originals that were that were still like in the uh, that are still in the pantheon that he came up with on his own out of right out, yeah. you know right out of his own twisted psyche. Right. I, I actually opened up my radio show two days ago singing 
I know you did. Blind. That, that's right. So you're, you're preaching to the choir on that one. Yeah, sure. yeah. I totally that's right. agree. Yep. All right, so now we get the uh, Bumps Blackwell and Little Richard standard. Uh, here's a song done a lot, but Jerry Lee Lewis's version of that's just as rocking as, as any is. of them. Yeah, yeah, Long Tall Sally. when I think of this like this is towards the end of the set this is the second to last song in the set right. and it's hey, like still. how do they still have that right. much energy yeah it's, right it's insane so I had a visitor from China once who didn't know anything about rock and roll and wanted to learn I'm like oh lordy how am I gonna do that so I played him Little Richard's Long Tall Sally and then I played him uh, the Beatles version and then I played him yeah. that version Right. Oh, okay, he, okay. He, seemed to, he seemed to get it in a way, you know, because he could see how the song was evolving. How it changes. Yeah, all three versions yeah. are so smoking hot. It's not funny. Yeah. Right. Just don't talk about the Kings version. Richard. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know. Richard's version is what? That one. <laughs> 54? So Little Richard's version is, is 10 years old by this point? No, I, th- I think Little Richard, by the time he recorded that, I think it was more like 56 or 57. Oh, okay, okay. Because right. he was recording for specialty by then. Okay. Most of his early 50s recordings are much more R&B. Right, right. I had, oh, watch out, watch out, there's a great big fool at the wheel. Fool <laughs> at the wheel, that, that kind of stuff. Okay. It's, it sounded more like uh, early Lloyd Price. And uh, So it wasn't uh, until he got the New Orleans uh, crew on the on specialty yeah. that he got. Uh, People like Earl Palmer and... Uh, What's his name? Lee Allen and people like that. Yeah, right. they played on all the Larry Williams records too. Right. So those specialty sessions are things. amazing because you can hear Richard yep. talking to the to the, talking to the band. Now, girls, yeah. we're gonna let's try it this way. You know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that stuff. <laughs> all right. So the record ends with uh, which I was surprised. I didn't know. I mean, I yeah, you a whole lot of shaking. It was his second single, but you always think of this as being the Jerry Lewis song. But it was written by uh, Sonny David and Dave, Dave Williams. Williams. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, but he, I mean, he set it on fire. He set it on like, fire. No, no one remembers the original version of Twist and Shout by the True Tones either. Right. right. The Isley <laughs> Brothers are the ones who set it on fire. Right, right, right. And uh, I was talking about that on Facebook, that Anita Carter's version of Ring, Ring of Fire is nice and all that. But a year mm-hmm. later, Johnny Cash takes it from, you know, June's sister. Right, and knocks right. it out of the park. You know, sometimes it just takes somebody else to really see the potential in the song. Right. So Jerry Lee made this his own. Let's hear a little bit. A whole lot of shaking going on. Yeah. Shake it all on. I'm all over, baby. 
record. And I guess was that that was probably the last song in the set, right? Because you said there was some songs that didn't uh, that never even made it. But oh yeah, this he like always ended with that. Right. Yeah. When you, you watch the you... Granada TV footage, you'll see he extended an extra four or five minutes. Oh okay. Because the crowd is just eating out of his hands, and right. eventually jumps up on top of the piano and he's gesturing, and oh, I gotta watch the crowd it. is roaring. And good God, you just don't want it to end. Right. Right. So yeah, that was his showstopper for sure. And it could go on as long as he felt like it. Right. Um, all right. So we did it. We got through this record. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for bringing this to us. Because like I said, we right. were well, like, uh, Neil Fights. Yeah, this one stays in my permanent collection, definitely. Yeah. And whenever I want to show, well, you, you know, if someone says, oh, Live at Leeds or another live album, I go, yeah, but you want to hear? Hold on a second. Yeah. It's, a, it's a, just an unbelievable live record. And it's just captured uh, just... And it's kind of a shame that it's uh, has sort of, it's it's still in sort of a bit of obscurity. Yeah, yeah. Um, the whole record, you know. Well, all the more reason to celebrate it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, Jack, the whole record's not even on Spotify. There's only about eight uh, songs. Eight, yeah, eight songs. And on I'm Spotify guessing that has to do with publishing again and. Probably. Yep. And, uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, all right, so, Jack, we want to mention, you. we did mention that you have the big takeover show, which is a great. Uh, a great uh, show you do where you play awesome music. And, yeah, you can uh, listen to it on Facebook, uh, yes, right? Or, and you can go right to big, bigtakeover.com and uh, get that. Slash radio, yeah. There you go. So that's where I, all 238 shows are archived there. Wow. Nice. And you can subscribe to uh, Big Takeover there also, bigtakeover.com. And you have a Patreon. <laughs> I saw you have a Patreon, too. Which, uh, I do. Patreon. Otherwise, I don't think I'd still be doing it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. It's great, right? Uh, so it's patreon.com forward slash jackrabbit. And I just mentioned in passing that we have a Patreon. We too. also have a Patreon. <laughs> Patreon.com uh, forward slash TRGMH. And uh, we thank uh, all our patrons. And I know Jack really thanks all his patrons. And, uh, and of course, his lovely, uh, long-supporting wife. Your wife must be a patient, really patient woman. <laughs> yeah, plus it helps <laughs> when I take the kids. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. But, you go to, but yeah, like, she is. How many shows? She's made it possible for me to continue in many, most respects. How many shows do you, have you seen in your lifetime? Like, how, because just it's just an unbelievable amount. I feel like you're you're always out seeing a band at least like you know a couple times a week and for the past uh, forty years. Yeah, although slowing down the last few years again because of the kids. Yeah, goddamn kids are real buzzkill, aren't they, Jack? Where, yeah, (laughs) yeah. I mean, well, that because I can't always get a babysitter without blowing seventy-five dollars. Right, right, yeah. So I had to pick and choose, or hope that Mary can watch them. Right. But yeah, she's a lovely lady, and uh, we just had our anniversary this week. So awesome! Well, congrats, and uh, congrats on uh, the big takeover show and the big takeover, and just doing it for this long and still having that passion for music, man. That's awesome. Well, thank you. And if I, you know, whether I'm a good writer or not, at least I get a chance to do things like this and hopefully expose people to music they would otherwise. Exactly. And if I can do that, I've justified every bit of my existence as a writer or DJ. Excellent. Awesome. Well, thanks again. And Barry, what what do we got coming up next week? Uh, We have um, Popmaster Fable. Popmaster Fable and doing the Beatniks, who I believe that we have our our friend Camilla Riso is going to join us. Translate for Popmaster Fable. Right, because uh, (laughs) in case we need help. She's uh, good friends with him, and um, Rob and I are ignoramuses. We are. Are you familiar? Are you familiar at all with the Beatniks? Uh, I'm not, no. No, okay. All right, well, see, we're going to expose you to something, too. There you go. Perfect. 
perfect example. All right. Well, thanks again for being on the show, Jack. Uh, it was a pleasure, and I'm sure we'll have you on again sometime. And uh, good luck with everything. Good luck with those goddamn kids. In Montana. Yeah, they're, they're actually wrestling right underneath me. Awesome. All right. You're crazy, kids. Tell them we said hey. And uh, we'll talk to you soon, Jack. Thanks again. Thanks very much. All right. We're, that record got me high. That's Barry Stock. That is Rob Elba. We'll see you guys next week. We're out. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Thank Bye, you. That record got me high is proud to be sponsored by Is This Tomorrow? Is This Tomorrow is a crazy webcomic produced by Woody Compton and Kelly Shane on a weekly basis cataloging the absurdities taking place at the Zorro News Channel. You know what I mean. You can find them at isthistomorrow.com or on Facebook by searching Is This Tomorrow. That record got me high and Is This Tomorrow? Don't bother with that. That's just the garbage disposal. That record got me high and is this tomorrow? Proudly present Jerry Lee Lewis, interviewed in 1977 in so they both wrote Great Balls of Fire. And uh, that's where I got it. It was kind of custom made for you. Right. It was for me. By the way, how do you, you don't write too much songs. How, how do you select the numbers? You There's too write? many good writers. No use me trying to write. I'm just go ahead and do the songs for them. There's enough room for everybody in this business. We finally got you to Finland. We've been waiting a long time already. So. Yes, and, uh, in Sweden, we are quite worried about your health. You have been operated. Oh, that's been quite a while ago. My health? Yes. Perfect health. I wouldn't have come over here if I hadn't been in bad health. <laughs> you are... You don't worry about the health. You just have the piano tuned up. 